Are you on the RCR mailing list? Never miss a beat of the news and hard-hitting stories you've come to know and love. Stay in the loop. Visit realitycheck.radio forward slash email. Welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. You're with Marie and joining me now is Anne-Marie Waters from the United Kingdom, writer, activist, former political party leader, currently the justice spokesperson for UKIP, uh, beyond terror, Islam's slow erosion of Western democracy and in the defense of democracy with two books that she has penned in recent years. Anne-Marie, welcome along to Counterculture. Thank you so much for having me. How wonderful. How wonderful. And before we got started, we were talking about knitting. So, of course, it's perfect conversation. I know this is going to go all so well. <laughs> it's so good to um, have you along. And, oh, gosh, this uh, where to start? The first thing I want to ask you is, do you think Great Britain right now is having an identity crisis? Oh, God, what a question. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't describe it like that. I think what's happening is quite clear. I don't think there's an identity crisis. I think the the British people are in a state of self-loathing that is quite extraordinary. Now, the whole Western world is going through. White people in the Western world uh, are are being encouraged to, to hate themselves, but none more so, I think, than the British. We have a very divided society, the there is still a a a British identity, but it is very much almost happening, almost keeping itself behind closed doors. There's a lot of shame involved. The British are very ashamed of themselves. They're taught to be ashamed of themselves in schools. I, I, I an identity crisis is really interesting. I'd have to think about whether I think that's the case or not. But I, I, I don't. It, it, yeah, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. I'm I'm, I'm talking as I'm thinking here now. Perhaps uh, it doesn't know quite who it is anymore. So I guess that's that's appropriate. But it, it's more than that. It's it's more sinister than that. It, it's there's a self hatred more than identity mm-hmm. crisis, and and it's very sad to to watch. It's very sad to be in. We're in a, a very frightened society. We're in a very 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 divided society. Families break up over political issues. I've never I've never known that before. Uh, they sort of started with Brexit, really, because, I mean, for example, I have a friend of mine has not spoken to her brother in several, since the referendum, because she voted to leave and he voted to remain. And I've lost friends, old friends, over Brexit uh, because I voted to leave. I've lost friends of different colour. So, for example, my old uh, flatmate from years and years ago in the university uh, is, would not, I, I tried to get in touch. Then we chatted for a, a little bit on Facebook when we, we got back in touch. And I know what happened was she went on and had a little rummage around my Facebook. And I'm anti-Black Lives Matter and all this sort of nonsense. And, and she's, she's Asian, she's of Indian background. And I knew, and she never got back to me, and I know why. It's because of the the racial division in the country. Now it never used to be like that. Um, so it's a, we're we're kind of a broken, divided, battered society where the native British are very um, in a very dark place. They're very very much in a state of self loathing. We have thousands of people coming into the country illegally every week. Um, the taxes are going up to to pay for people to be in hotels while we have tens of thousands of homeless British. It's 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 broken. 
Mm. It's broken. Well, well I sort of couldn't have asked that because the, those who love uh, critical social justice, for example, will tell you that the coin of the realm of any population or nationhood is its Indigenous population. And yet mm. the Indigenous population of Great Britain, regardless of whether or not it's white Anglo-Saxon or Celtic, has literally been told and conditioned that, oh, no, but because your skin colour is the wrong skin colour, you're not allowed to take on that that identity label that we purport you should have. Uh, whereas anywhere else, it's uh, that is you know knocks you up the totem of oppression, as I like to call it. It's I mean, I I believe there is a global attack, and that attack is the right word against white people. Uh, I there is a, you the the language that is used to discuss white people on the global stage is nigh on genocidal language. We are a psychosis. The British army gets lessons in the psychosis of whiteness. The you know, we are described as a virus, uh, as as some sort of illness, as thieves, as as colonizers, as it, it is outrageous the way we are spoken about. And it is global. And it is on every level. It comes down from the United Nations down to the local council. Uh, we have we have white people excluded from jobs. Uh, even this this is so bizarre to me. There's a group here called English Heritage, and what they do is basically take care of ancient English buildings, or mm. and they advertise. And white people are not allowed to apply for jobs with English Heritage. That, that seems to be just taking it that little bit too far. How can you be English heritage mm. and ban white people from working in it? How is that English? But even more, it gets even worse. History is being rewritten. We're now told that black people were here first and, and the first British people were black and black people were here before white people. And if you start to question, well, where did all the black people go then? And, and where did white people come from? I mean, no one answered. You, you're dismissed with racism. You know, George Orwell could not have, in his worst nightmares, devised the sort of manipulation, psychological manipulation, the lies, the historical rewriting, the denigration of the native British, the native people of these islands is outrageous. We have a mayor of London who um, won't have white people in pictures on his website because that's not British. Everywhere, you look on his website and just about everyone is black or Asian. There's no white people. We have a leader of Scotland, Scotland of all places, mm. who loathes white people and is completely open about it. Well, he, he's, uh, he's very, also linked to jihadists, by yeah, the way. He, I was just going to say, he's very, very steeped too in, in critical social justice. He's oh, he's... he's He's out and out and proud on on that front. Yeah. I mean, oh, in a way, did, did you ever think you would get to a point where you would you'd look to Scotland and you think, oh, Nicola, I miss you. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. Well, I I never got thought I'd get to the point. And you know, I've been doing this for a long, long time, and I know about Humza Yusuf, and I know his his past and his connections, and I know his ideology. I know he is one of that. He is one of the Islamist circle. 20 years ago, when I started doing this, around 20 years ago, even I in my worst nightmares wouldn't have thought that a, 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 an Islamist, and that's what he is, would be leading Scotland. 
But there we are. And you know what? When he first moved into the, the residence of the First Minister of Scotland, he took some photographs and put them out on Twitter. And the mother was hidden. You know, he take he took a photograph of all his family, but the fee the only female in the picture is his mother, and she was hidden. She was hidden behind a man. You can't see her. I'm out of words sometimes, and I and I have to ask when we have things like this, when we have rape gangs, when we have invisible women, when we have burkas and and honor violence, and and where where is the Me Too feminism movement? About where are they? How uh, we are. So so we are in so much trouble. But at the same time, I take, I try always to remain optimistic. And I take what happened in the Netherlands in the last couple of days has been just incredible. I did not expect Geert Wilders to win the Dutch election, but he did. Mm. Um, I think uh, Marine Le Pen is riding very high. I think she will win next oh, year. She's been, she has been chipping away at that French oh. socialist stone for a very long time. So has Wilders in Holland, mm. and and their time their time appears to be coming. Well, well see, I'm looking to see. I'm going to Argentina in January. Oh and, right. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was just like, Javier, where have you been hiding? Oh wow. I had never heard of him. I oh. I, I mean, I probably don't. I don't pay any attention, frankly, to Argentine politics. But I'd never heard of him until he was he was suddenly in charge of the country. Like, apparently, he said he wants the Falklands back. Which is quite, which is quite. Well, yes, yeah. There's funny. there's lots of sort of little, little misquotes around that because I sort of saw that too. And he and uh, in other interviews I've seen, he he says, oh, "I really respect um, mm. Margaret Thatcher." So I I don't know, but he uh, he was uh, one interview I watched recent uh, was it last night, and it said he was uh, the interview, and he was calling them the stupid socialists. And she's like, "Why are you calling them stupid socialists? Why are you calling them stupid socialists?" She goes, "Because they're stupid." Yeah, well, socialists are stupid. <laughs> sort of goes with the territory. Yeah, he's yeah. So there is certainly sort of a swing. So then let's let's have a look at the book Beyond uh, Terror: mm. Islam, Slow Erosion of Western Democracy, 2018. So did you write that in 2018 or 27, 2018? Uh, it took me a few years to write it. Really, it's sort of a a mishmash of things over the years. See, I used to be on the left. I was an, an activist for the Labour Party for ten years. Uh, really, really heavily involved in it. And I discovered Sharia law when I was training to be a lawyer. And I was so appalled by it that I started looking into things a little bit further and looking into Islam. And and when I realised what it was, I it changed really and, and sort of drifted off. I, I left Labour and joined UKIP. Then I left UKIP because they didn't want me talking about Islam the way I was. And, and I ran for leader to um, I'll, I'll put a bit of beef on this. I, I, I left Labour and joined UKIP and I started talking about Islam. I started, I read the Quran. Uh, I read not all of the uh, hadiths, but some, the, the most important ones. And I, I learned, I learned the religion very, very well. I know the religion quite well. And I, I am not one who can stay quiet. I am not one who I'm not one either who can I, I who can pretend, you know, some people say you've got to be tactical and you've got to, you know, tone it down a little bit and try, you know, to, to I, I can't do that. I'm just not it's just not my DNA. I have to say what I'm thinking. It gets me into trouble, but I have to do it. Um, so I started talking about Islam in a way that UKIP weren't particularly pleased about. Um 
So when I was deselected, I was running for parliament for UKIP uh, in London, and without even telling me, the leader of the party deselected me, kicked me out of the seat. And in response to that, I decided to challenge him for the leadership. In any case, the the election was a disaster, and um, he he resigned. So is this there was post, a, or pre, post or pre Brexit? Pre. No, wait, no, twenty seventeen post, post. Post. Actually, it was post because. That's why UKIP's vote collapsed, because people thought, well, Brexit's done. We don't yeah. need to vote for UKIP anymore. Um, no, 2017 it was. And I ran in the leadership election and I came second. And I was the bookie's favourite to win for quite a while. A long, 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 long process. And then in, in the middle of the process comes this bloke called Henry Bolton who no one had ever heard of. And then he came halfway through the process with Nigel Farage's backing mm. and won. Uh, I knew all of the, I had I had allies, I had friends in the party who told me a lot of what was going on behind the scenes. And I knew that I was subject to a smear, a smear campaign. And there was a lot of dirty tricks were employed to stop me winning the leadership. So I left. I started my own party. I said, I'll give it five years. I gave it five years. By the end of the five years, our support had collapsed. Everyone's support had collapsed. And UKIP had changed very, very much. UKIP is very, very different now. Farage and his cronies are all gone. So they asked me, they invited me back. I, they invited me to give a speech at their conference last year. I did. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being around people. I enjoyed speaking again. I hadn't given a speech for a while. So they invited me to rejoin and I did. And I'm now there just, just a spokesman and standing um, for Parliament next year. Mm. So you're getting your, your feet back in the water. So when yeah. you wrote that, when you wrote the book, because I, I have to admit, I bought the book now because I want to read it, but I did read Strange Death of Europe, which came out at a similar time by Douglas Murray. What has changed? What has been in the say in the five years since that book was published to now? Better, same, worse? In many respects, better. Better because we are. I mean, for example, I've literally I've just been allowed back on Twitter. I was banned from Twitter for five years. And I've literally just got back on. Better in that more people I think are awake, more people are less afraid to speak out. More people realise that Islam, the religion, is a problem. The religion is a problem. The teachings of the religion are a problem. More and more people realise that. More and more people realise that there's nothing actually inherently wrong with criticising a religion. You know, for crying out loud, we're going back to the French Revolution values here. We've, you know, secularism, the Enlightenment, the Reformation, European history allows us to criticise religion. Um, so in many respects, it has got better. In other respects, it's got worse because the immigration is has exploded, absolutely exploded. Figures came out just yesterday, actually. We got 700 and something thousand last year. And um, they had to extra. revise that up or something? They got the original <laughs> yeah, number Yeah, I mean, you should see, you should see the graph. I mean, it goes along, it's like little sort of mountaintops, and then it just shoots off up into space in the last year. And you know the, the people are coming in. You can you can. I went to um, I went to Kent 
not that long ago, and I didn't actually expect this to happen. I really didn't expect this to happen. So I drove down to Kent because we were seeing on the news that all these people are coming in through Dover, the White Cliffs of Dover, which is in Kent. And the border force, whose job it is to keep illegal immigrants out of the country, are going out into the sea to bring illegal immigrants into the country. So I went down to Kent to have a look at this farce in Dover. And just a little, just 10 minutes drive along from Dover is the is, is a memorial to the Battle of Britain, <clears throat> which is a, an air a battle that took place in the air over the English Channel between the Nazis and, and Britain in 1940. And in any case, it might not be 1940, actually. Anyway, I, we were standing in this memorial. It's an outdoor memorial. It's on the cliffs that overlook the English Channel. And <clears throat> we saw boats of immigrants coming in. Uh, just a, a little sort of a dinghy, maybe about 10, 15 people on it, just sailed up. There was no fanfare. There was no police. There was nobody. It was just a bare stretch of beach. And they got off the boat and just started walking into the town. And we, I, I did not expect to see it. And guess what? We saw it twice. A short while later, it happened again. And I'm thinking, this is, I can't actually believe I'm seeing this. You think it's just something on the news. You don't think you're actually... You know, we went down to have a look. I did not expect for a minute. But that's what's happening every single day. Um, pe people just pulling up on boats, getting off the boats and walking in to British towns and... and um, so why? So this is the question Muslims. that I've, Muslims yeah. Well, so that, so this is the thing. Are they coming? Are they coming via Syria, Libya, and those sorts of places, mm. or are they? Were they already in Europe and decided that they're starting to see a cold shoulder now as the winds of change politically are starting to happen in Europe, and they look casting their eye around for where to next? Probably a bit of both. I think a lot of them come to Europe with the intention of going to the UK for a few reasons. I mean. One of them is language. Um, you know, a lot more people speak or have a grasp of English than French or German, for example. Um, the benefit system is incredibly, incredibly generous here. Um, and I think a lot of people come to Europe trying to, with the intention of, of getting to the UK. They come over, the boats are coming over from Calais in France. So there's big camps in Calais. And they get into their little boats and they head off from the French coast to the English coast. The French are not stopping this, of course. And, and you can't really blame them because either the French have got enough problems of their own. And they're probably glad to, to see the back of a lot of these people. But, you know, the thing is, the British government pays the French government a lot of money to stop these migrants from coming over. And it doesn't make the blindest bit of difference. They're not bothering about it. So I think what, a lot of them are coming from North Africa. Um, they cross into Spain or Italy first and then make their way across um, to France and then on the little boats to us. Um, a lot, maybe, I, mean, I, I suspect uh, if, if, if Le Pen was to win next year, is, is, it, is it next year? If Le Pen was to win, I think we're going to get a massive influx coming over. We had a massive influx from France when they banned the burqa. <laughs> Um, we had a huge influx coming over from France um, for that reason. Um, maybe we'll get some from Holland now. Who knows? But I think it's a mixture of both. And I think a lot of people come into Europe wanting to come here. Others, um, well, they go, I guess, where the wind blows. I've no idea what their experience must be like. I don't know how they managed to get from Spain uh, over to France. Uh, presumably they have money. 
Um, there are a million different theories, some of them quite outlandish about what these people are doing here. But one thing that is that is true, and this is not um, Daily Mail newspaper hype. This is true. They do come wearing the best of clothing. They do come with mobile phones. You can see them taking pictures on, with, on their mobile phones and celebrating as they, as they arrive. Now, I'm sorry, but we are r- routinely told that these are desperate people running from war and poverty. and all. But you, I've seen with my own eyes that these are not bedraggled people. These are not hungry, uh, desperate people. These are people who come in... Uh, well dressed, arrive on uh, into into England, into England, and then you'll see them doing these sort of peace signs to their cameras and take. A, this is not people fleeing for their lives. There's something and what really. I, uh, and, what I under- and what I understand too is a lot of them are military aged young men. Yeah, all of them, from what I can see. You might see actually. I, I mean, I the two boats I watched come in. Uh, we're, we're all male, and the boats that come into Dover and are facilitated, and buses. He said, "There's something wrong. There's something really wrong here. There, are, when these boats come in, there are buses waiting to take them to hotels. This is outrageous." And now I, I watched that happen as well down in Dover, and every single person I saw was, a, like you say, military age male. Everyone, and all of them looking fit and healthy, and in quality clothing and with um, technology equipment, you know, a phone, a, a smartphone. I There's something wrong here. There's something wrong. Why are we, why are buses sitting waiting to take these people to hotels? Why is this, who, something is happening here that is inexplicable and outrageous. And I, you know, some people, some people, like I say, have some really outlandish theories, but <laughs> there could be coming less at some people believe it's an army being mm. brought in and that army will be used to imprison us essentially because the british army the theory goes wouldn't do it wouldn't turn on its own people in that way so they're importing a new army and that's what a lot of a lot of people do believe that mm. um because you've studied on? islam mm. and one of the things that i have sort of noted particularly with the current crisis in the middle east and I think as a West, as Westerners, as as white Westerners, you don't necessarily realise this, is that you believe there's a homogeneity amongst all Muslims, and the, there just is not. Because if you look at the current crisis, I think Hamas were expecting to have their buddies Hezbollah in the north chime in, their mates across you know across yeah. the other side of the country in the West Bank to to China and the Jordanians yeah. might get interested, yeah. um, the Saudis might get involved and all all of them were like oh, nothing to see here we're not really that interested. Phil, you know, no, you're on your own here, son. Uh, and I do wonder that. And you even look at um, I think was it the Pakistan just sent back quarter of a million yeah, Afghani. Yeah, quite incredible. You know, know, so back back across the border. So I mean, yeah. in a way. They're not even being accepted. I know I hear people that say, oh, why don't they just go to other Muslim countries? Why do they have to come to a Western country? It's like, because the other Muslim countries don't they want won't them. Take them. They won't take them. And and that's um, that happened in 2015 as well when we had that massive influx into Europe, the first big one. And Germany took in, I think, almost 2 million uh, in a very short time. And, and almost overnight they started raping and abusing German women. But anyway, um. You're right. There, there is 
they don't want each you know they don't want each other and and back in 2015 as well nobody none of the muslim countries would take all these immigrants that were fleeing they were allegedly fleeing syria uh, and nobody none in the muslim world wanted them and you're right i mean they, i do think that hamas would have liked um, muslims to i mean hamas leaders called for it we've had um from, imams from the here. five star qatari yeah, hotels oh, yeah absolutely yeah using uh, western taxpayers money to um live in in luxury in qatar and yeah, they won't. I mean, Hezbollah, I think, flung a few rockets over Israel's northern border in the beginning. But essentially, that is, has, has come to nothing, thankfully. But you, no, they don't. It's, it's a bit of both. They, you can find common causes, you can find commonalities between different Muslims. So, for example, Pakistan and Somalia, both Muslim, but very, very different. Not the same ethnicity, not the same culture. Uh, otherwise, very, very different. But they have things that unite them. But let me give you an example. Um, in in the UK, we obviously we have a rape gang crisis in the UK, mm. and nothing has changed. You know, people think it's uh, that the police have made because it's it it with the Rotherham report, everything just became so. Um, it became such a big hot topic publicly. People think it has been reduced or stopped. It's so it absolutely has not. Anyway, we have a rape crisis, a rape gang crisis in this country. And if you go, it depends on where you are. So if you go to Yorkshire, you, the rape gangs are Pakistani. If you because the the Muslim populations in Yorkshire are Pakistani, but if you go over to Bristol, where the Muslim population is Somali. The rape gangs in Bristol are Somali. And there is the one thing that unites Muslims, no matter the ethnicity to me. And look, by the way, I, I, I'll, do the, I'll do the obligatory. I don't, of course, mean every single individual Muslim. But the word Muslims is still appropriate to use. One thing that unites them is an appalling treatment of women. No matter whether it's from Somalia or Pakistan, the women are treated appallingly. So there are things that unite Muslims regardless, but you're right, they don't back each other up in these things. They don't. And, and thankfully, actually, because I don't, I'm not sure if it's, if they did decide to gang up on Israel, then, then the West will have to defend Israel, won't it? And then we're into World War Three. But you're right, they, they'd have no time for each other. They uh, are what we would, what the social justice warrior on the left would call racist towards each other. Uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right, and and they know there's no inclination whatsoever, and and if they do, you know, if we do get a mass influx of of refugees from Gaza or a mass a mass exodus from Gaza of uh, people looking for refuge, they'll all be coming to the West. No Muslim country will take them. No Muslim country will take mm. them. Well, uh, the, from what saying, I understand, the poor Palestinians, no one wants them. No. If we get into it, and I mean, look, if you if you look at um, the long and protracted um, battle between Israel and the Palestinians, people talk still. It, it's it's almost as if we're living in so if they're as if they're living in some alternate universe. People talk still about a two state solution, and not ignoring ignoring the fact that Israel has agreed to a two state solution five times. And on each occasion, been met with terror attacks. Uh, so you, you uh, there's a problem there. I I don't mm. want Gazans coming here. I don't. You, you the the these are people who are bred from from very early age to be deeply anti-Semitic. Um, I think we've got enough, frankly, um, anti-Semitism in Europe as it is. 
So I, I don't blame people, I don't think. If you look at Gaza, you look how dysfunctional it is, you look how how it will not, will not agree to peace with Israel for years and years and years and years. You kind of think, well, why would anyone, why would I want them? Mm. There's something wrong here. Mm. There, there really is. And and so there's two disconnects that I see. One is, and I mean, this is, you'll be seeing this currently right now, and we've seen it to a lesser extent in this country. And that is those, again, critical social justice uh, mm. proponents who uh, have taken on the Palestinian cause, many of whom within their own identities would not even be allowed to exist in any mm. form of Muslim state, mm. uh, which I find deeply ironic. And bizarre. then, yeah, very bizarre. And then you have two, particularly in the United um, in the United Kingdom, because you've got you know multi generational Muslim families that came over in the seventies and the eighties, and they integrated and they they were able to keep their uh, they, like they integrated into British society. They're valuable members of British society, and and it's their second and third generations that are being sort of lured into more extremism. So they're home homegrown, but also too there's those moderate. Muslims, you know, they're good. I mean, I know some very peaceful, wonderful, lovely, they lovely, lovely Muslims. But again, they don't speak up. They say nothing. They're afraid to. Mm. They're afraid to. Yeah. I mean, there are people in this country who are, who I've known, who are living under police protection. I know one particular guy, a very wonderful, wonderful guy. He, is, has lived under police protection for several years now. He lives in a safe house purely for being denounced as as uh, an apostate by his family. That's quite common. I used to, I've known quite a lot of, of what we, ex-Muslims, so I suppose it's slightly different, but there are, people are afraid to. And I think it, it, within uh, the Muslim community, if you do have objections, um, you keep them to yourself because you risk being alienated by your family and your community and, and actually risk potential violence as well. Um, so, yeah, of course, of course, they don't speak up. It's a little I have I've mixed feelings about it because it would like, make life a lot simpler if they did speak up, but they won't be protected if they do. That's the problem. Mm. So, so our entire establishment is against them. So I decided, instead of looking up your Wikipedia page to do a bit of research, I listened to the Oxford Union debate from a decade right. ago. Worst night of my life. Worst you professional did, yeah, life. yeah. So what's changed? I mean, I mean, for starters, I mean, you you wouldn't be able to say many of the things that you said then. I thought you held your your ground quite well, but it was. I do feel like that you a trap had been sprung and you were the prey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's happened to me quite a lot, quite a, quite a number of times. I'm not as quite as naive as I used to be. I mean, you know, when you asked me about the book, I started started telling you about my time in labour. The reason I did that is because that's what's documented in the book, my journey mm. from left to sanity, and and I and I was quite naive in that I believed that the truth mattered. Um, I believe that if you told the truth, then surely everyone has to accept that that's the truth, right? But but they don't. And actually, the truth teller is um, in, in quite a perilous situation. So I've been lured into, to, in my earlier days, I was lured into quite a few traps like that. I'm not quite so naive now. I used to, I used to go, I used to go to just about everything I was invited to as well. But I, I wanted to go to, do you know that my Oxford speech is the most watched in, on YouTube in, in, of all Oxford speeches? Apparently. So while it, to me, it was a disaster. 
in other ways, it sort of put me on a new level of mm. people knowing who I was and what have you. Um, but I used to go, I, I wanted to do that one because I thought, well, it's Oxford Union. I mean, people, the, the, the great and good have spoken that one. I've actually spoken there twice, but only one is uh, <laughs> is notorious. I, yeah, I, I was I was kind of naive and, I, and I, I kind of wanted to speak every opportunity I could. I talked to everyone. I was really open. I had a journalist follow me, befriend me. Um, this is one. This is also documented in the book. She befriended me for nine months, nine months, and the whole time she was recording me. That was really difficult to cope with, and I think that took away a lot of my naivety. And there it came up on national television, primetime national television, was me having conversations with someone I thought was a friend. Um, this this stuff can really this stuff can change mm -hmm. you quite a bit and, and make you very wary of people. And for a long time, then I, I, I would walk into a room and I would be wary of everybody in it. And this is not great. You know, this is not, you, you're not, this is not a way to live and it's not a way to, to succeed, frankly, either to be wary of people. So I think I've got into a point now where I've, I've managed to, my, naiv my naivety is definitely gone, but I've managed to bring back a little bit of trust and faith in humanity because you can't go through life fearing people. Um, no. You can't. It's just not it's not healthy for anyone. I think I'm at a stage now where I am feeling I, I'm I maybe got maybe got the balance maybe got the balance right. But yeah, the, I mean that Oxford thing was was just awful. I I it was oh. One of the worst speech I've ever given, and one of the most, yeah, it was, it was, it was awful. But it actually kind of, it, it, this is how I met Tommy Robinson. This is also documented in the book. Yeah. My my time with Tommy Robinson, he saw that speech and got in touch with me, and that sort of brought me to it, got me involved in a lot more things, and and so it was, it's. It, it was good for me in that it propelled me up to a new level. But um, and that's what you've got to take away, really, isn't it? You've got to take, yeah. you know, the where to from here. So with, in terms of the where to from here, you're back in UKIP. Mm. Um, the Tories. I mean, there is, whilst most of the world is now starting to, I think, wake up from its socialist sort of stupor and wanting to get a little bit of, you know, pull things back a little bit because, there has been this seismic shift to the left. The Overton window has moved so rapidly in the last five to seven years that people are only now just beginning to realise the effects of that. Mm. In the United Kingdom now, I mean, I, I we saw it here in this country with our Labour Party that the party was founded and based originally on the backs of working class individuals, which have traditionally have been the Labour Party in the United Kingdom. Are they looking to Keir Starmer as their great saviour or are they starting to cast around and thinking, actually, that party doesn't represent us anymore and they're looking elsewhere? It's quite funny. Um, Keir Starmer is not popular uh, with, with the Labour Party, certainly not with the left of the Labour Party. It's it's interesting because we're seeing a big backlash against him. Labour, there was just been a by-election, a local council by-election and a seat that Labour has held since time immemorial. And it's gone to an independent and Labour dropped something like 30% of its vote in a Muslim area. Um, and the reason that the Muslims have started to boycott Labour is because of Israel. 
And because Starmer said that Israel has a right to defend itself and he hasn't called for a ceasefire and he won't call for a ceasefire. So Muslims are starting to turn again. So there's a big issue there. Um, Starmer is, Starmer, I, I literally, I mean, you know, I'm not saying this for just to be gratuitously insulting. Starmer has no principles whatsoever. He will, he switches and turns and will make one speech on Monday and a completely different speech on Tuesday. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful man. But they are in the lead in the national polls because the Tories have sunk so far. With the Tories, we have, um, in answer to your question directly, I'm not, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I certainly think that the, the left, the uber left, uh, don't like him very much. He's not very popular. So At we the wider public. Go. So we don't nowhere. They've nowhere to go. They'll just try and take the Labour Party back. Yeah, because see, we've uh, got a Green Party here, which is where oh, ours went. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I rant and rave enough about them of a week. But we also have a party here which uh, was out in the wilderness for the last three years, just come back, which is called New Zealand First, which in a way is our version of UKIP. Mm. They're sort of very centrist, very practical, very nationalist. They're very much yeah. along the lines of, look, we're aware of what's going on out there. But we've got yeah. plenty that we need to work on in here. So that sort of, and they have um, come back first time ever because we're on an MMP system, a little bit like the Germans. For the first time ever, they've actually got back into Parliament with eight MPs without actually winning an electorate seat anywhere. They just did wow. it. Based, yeah, first time ever. So that's quite historic. So that deal just got minted uh, last week, mm. finally. And uh, Winston, who is 78, is now back, and he's back as de- Deputy Prime Minister for 18 months. He's been around the tracks for 42 years. Wow, wow, that's incredible. But it is, yeah, it, and I do look over to the UK, and I think there is uh, probably going to be a, because when's the next year, the election? Do you next know? year, yeah. yeah. We don't so, know when next year. It could be, it'll, likely, it'll be May or September. It depends on how... Um, Fishy, fishy Rishi is failing and whether he thinks, I expect, what I expect is he'll drag it out as long as he can mm. and I expect us to get a few. He's just introduced a tax cut, which is tiny. They're so, it, it is such, it, the, the mass manipulation. He raised taxes enormously and then he cuts them a tiny bit. And then presents it as a tax code, you know. They, but they, but I expect us to get some some cash giveaways at some point next year. He'll put some money in our pockets, and at that point, I think we can expect an election. Um, but it'll probably be May or September. Yeah, yeah. Because he does, he does sort of strike me as someone who's a bit of a shiver looking for a spine to run up. Does Alvashi? He is so out of his depth. It is, it is, it is astonishing when you look back and think of some of the great prime ministers that have led this country. Thatcher is my own um, personal favourite, and then and then you look at what's it? What, well, the occupants of the House of Commons at the moment are, are quite shocking, anyway. Um, but then you look at Fishy Rishi, and he's he's he looks like he's out of his depth. Mm. There's no substance. To, you could you don't look at him and think, yeah, this guy. This guy can take us there. He's not a Winston Churchill character, is he? No. Um, well, then you've had this whole Suella Braverman and then bringing oh, David Cameron back. Yeah, so I just thought she was incredibly hard done by. Oh, sh- everyone loves Suella. You see, here's the problem. Suella was too popular. She had right. to go. This is this you you see this a lot of the time. We had it with Pretty Patel as well. Uh, Pretty Patel was quite popular too, and she was sacked, and then she's replaced with Suella Braverman. 
because what's wrong is so both Pretty Patel and Suella Braverman spoke like ordinary people do and and expressed a lot of the frustrations that a lot of ordinary people are feeling, specifically around immigration. And between 70 and 80% of the British people regard immigration as probably the most important issue that we face. And yet all we ever hear from mainstream politics is pro-immigration rhetoric, except from Priti Patel and Suella Braverman. Now, Priti Patel started speaking out about it, and then she was hit with bullying allegations. She was Home Secretary, and she started speaking uh, like, like us. She started speaking like us. She got so much abuse from the press, racial abuse from the press. She's of Asian background with a name like Patel. You can probably guess that. But she got so much racial abuse from the press because, you know, whoa, oh, you're pulling up the ladder. It's all right for your family to come in. And But they treated her appallingly because of the colour of her skin. And, and it was outrageous to me. It told me two things, that the press, the left-dominated press, uh, does not consider Priti Patel to be British because she's not white. And she, therefore, she can't complain about too much immigration. Only white people can complain about too much immigration because only white people are really British. Everyone else is sort of is an immigrant. Even though Priti Patel was born here and raised here, she's still an immigrant because of the colour of her skin and she can't therefore complain. So the, the hypocrisy of it, they, it, this is racial abuse. She was at the end of racial abuse by the press. The same press that calls me a racist, even though I'm the one saying she's British, she has every right to complain about immigration. I'm the one that's cast as a racist. It's so outrageous. Anyway, she was then hit with bullying accusations and kicked out of the job. Then came Suella. And Suella was even better than Pretty Patel. One thing I loved about her, she refused to apologise to people. <laughs> Which is the that. first role, never apologise. Oh, it's it's fabulous. Most politicians do. They cave instantly. She never apologised. She never, she, they, they would demand apologies from her every five minutes and she always said, no, I'm not apologising for that. But then she wrote an, a truthful article very recently. And people were, the press was already calling for her to be fired. She was outrageous. She was out of control, is how Labour described her, because she was saying the things that we all know to be true, but we're not allowed to say. She said them. Uh, and one of the things she said was, and she wrote an article in The Times. This was, her, this was the final nail in the coffin. She wrote an article in The Times recently saying that the Metropolitan Police were biased and that they allowed left-wing thugs to do whatever the hell they like, um, deface monuments in central London and all the rest of it. And if if anyone so much as waves an English flag, the police are... And that's literally true. The police have given people warnings for waving the Union Jack or waving an English flag at protests in London. But you will have Palestinian flags and you will have River to the Sea chanting, which is a dog whistle, genocidal chant, and we all know it. Um, we will have people, you know, outrageous anti-Semitism on the streets and the police are not just allowing it, but involved in it. So you will see the police high-fiving Palestinian protesters and then and then coming down hard on the English. And everyone knows this is true. Suella Braverman wrote an article in The Times saying so. And that was it. She was gone.
Yeah. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. And by an unelected prime minister, and I don't mean unelected by the people. He is unelected by the people, but that's not how it works. The Tory party is in government. We elected the Tory party. So whoever leads the Tory party is, is in our Tory stuff. And whoever leads is obviously the prime. So I'm not saying he's unelected by the people. That's how our system works. He's unelected even by his own party. Yeah. Uh, Liz yeah. Truss won that election. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's incredible. That's how illegitimate he is. He couldn't even win his own leadership election in the party. Liz Truss won that. And then Liz Truss made the mistake of introducing conservative economic policy and she was out and mm. replaced by one of Klaus Schwab's graduates, which, of course, he is, Mr. Rishi. He is he's from, you know, the world's the future Economic. leaders program. Oh, yeah. oh, no. like Believe Schwab me, program. we've just we've just had six years of Jacinda. Yeah. We know all I think about she that, was one as well, isn't she? Oh, she was, yes. She was one as well. And Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Macron in France, of course. Yeah. 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 Outrageous. Outrageous. Well, the, the interesting times ahead. We're, so we're waiting for a little bit of settling here, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with us. I will be ke certainly keeping a closer eye with what happens over there, so hopefully we can catch up maybe before the election. Yeah. That would be great. I'd love yeah, to do I'd that. Love to. I'd love this, to. This is Anne-Marie Waters. She is the justice spokesperson for UKIP United Kingdom. Uh, and, of course, your books. If anyone's interested in actually purchasing your books, where can they get those, Anne-Marie? They're on Amazon. It's oh, always it's the easiest way. Easy yeah. peasy. So just look They're up Anne-Marie Waters and yeah. you'll find uh, both of those books. Hey, look, this has been fantastic. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, lovely time. to talk to you. Yeah, yeah that's all right. And uh, if you have any issues with the knitting and you can't get hold of Neil, I'll be here, find a friend anytime. You, you're going to regret that. <laughs> you're going to regret that. You know what's going through my head now? I'm going to pin her down to a Zoom chat so I can show her. From, oh, you're going to regret that. <laughs> hey, this is fantastic. Don't disappear, everybody. Of course, more fantastic com commentary here to come. I've got Media Matters Marty coming up very, very shortly. And remember, if you've got any comments you'd like to send us, inbox at realitycheck.radio is the email and 2057 is the text number. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.